My name is Elise, and it is my privilege to introduce our speaker tonight. And just as you heard in this song about the mighty power of Jesus, we're about to hear that in Trish's life. Trish Bruce is a new friend of mine. And anyone who has a signature block on her email, TB, not the disease, has my, has my vote, my invitation on someone I want to get to know. And that just gives such a picture of this beautiful lady. And you're about to hear a story of her journey. Of It's been hard. But how God took her through and brought her to the other side in victory. It's absolutely beautiful. She's engaging. She's lovely, precious in every way. And I'm, I recently met her. She's been at the church since 2003. I've been here since 01. So our paths never crossed. So this is encouraging because you can always meet a new friend. So please join me in welcoming my new friend, Trish Bruce. Well, it's really an honor to be here with everyone tonight, and it's really funny. Um, I think I made it just under the mark for 20s and 30s because I actually turned 40 in June of this year, and so I was like, yes, I made it, and um, so it's really great to be here, but it's really funny. All my friends are saying, oh my gosh, you're going to turn 40. Are you freaking out? Are you okay? I'm like, no, it's awesome. I'm in one of the best seasons of my life. Um, my identity in Christ has never been stronger than where I'm at right now, and my knowledge of who God is has never been stronger than where I'm at right now. So it's awesome. So I don't fear turning 40. However, however, probably in the last couple of years or so, I have had a family of whiskers take residence on my upper lip. No lie. No lie. So don't fear turning 40, but do fear your upper lip, okay? So you heard it here first, all right? So there you go. (laughs) So I really have no transition from that to my story, so we're just going to jump right into it. Um, So as Elise said, I've been in Apostles since 2003 or something like that, and this is definitely my church home. Um, I love it. I've grown so much here, more than anywhere else. And, uh, but there is a season where I became really, really frustrated with Dr. Youssef. He was bugging me. Uh, I wanted to have a conversation with Doc Yo and tell him that his Sunday sermons needed to move past the gospel. No lie. Because I was thinking, I accepted Christ when I was a freshman in college. So why, for the love of Pete, did we keep going back to the gospel every Sunday? I wanted more. I wanted a four-course meal served up by the word of God, and I wanted to get deeper. I thought I was ready for it. So much so that I actually left Apostles for a season because I thought something was missing, and I wanted to go to another church to find it. But what was missing was me entering into the fullness of the gospel, And God just slammed me hard with that. And so came back to Apostles, obviously. And once he opened my eyes to that, that's when things really got started for me. And a lot of healing started to come from that. Um, It took a lot of refining, a lot of growth. But 
basically the best way that I've heard is, and I'm sure I'm not going to say anything that is probably not new to you guys tonight. You've probably heard it before, but prayerfully you're hearing it tonight for a reason. So don't tune out if you think that you've been there, done that. Um, But what I learned is basically the gospel is like a house. Salvation is the doorway, and we enter into it, and we just camp out there. We just stay there in the foyer. We don't go anywhere else. We don't go exploring the fullness of the gospel. And yes, yes, salvation by the blood of Jesus Christ, that is foundational, but there is so much more. Don't stop there in your faith because the gospel doesn't stop there. So um, also another word on the gospel, Dr. Yusuf would be so proud, is that not only is the gospel good news for our guilt, but y'all, it is good news for every single area that we struggle in. It's transformative power, but we usually stop at the guilty part, and we don't take it any further than that. And it's sort of like a judge tells you you're not guilty. Maybe you didn't really run that red light, so you're not guilty, but you still feel kind of dirty because maybe you did run it. I don't know. I'm not going to judge you. And that's how a lot of us can be after accepting Christ. We sort of still feel like a second-class citizen where there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God, but we struggle with that. And so that's why the good news is not only good for our guilt, but is good for every other area. And I'm probably going to repeat that a lot, so settle in. All right, so again, it took me a while to walk all this truth out and really experience that transformative power. As I mentioned, I accepted Christ as a freshman in college, Furman University, FU one time. It's Furman University. <laughs> and that really is a cheer. We're recording this. That's unfortunate. So um, I definitely experienced a lot of change and growth uh, when I accepted Christ going through Furman and then graduating and everything, but I still struggled a lot. Uh, There was a lot of behavior modification, but not a lot of heart transformation, and that was problematic. So again, I'd only walk through the door of salvation, camped out in the foyer, hung out there for a long time. Um, Going back a little further, growing up, I received certain messages from various spheres of influence. And the most damaging message was that the real me is too much. I was too needy, too emotional, too awkward. Still am today, but I've dealt with it. Too ugly, too unlovable, too weak. Just too much for people to handle. So what does that mean? What did my mind as a little girl take that as? That I'm not worthy to be loved. I'm too much. I'm going to push that little girl down, and I'm going to keep her hidden away And because something's just off. Something's not right. So I don't want anyone to get to know her. We're keeping her hidden away. So unfortunately, that message played itself out in various ways in my life and in a lot of destructive behaviors. I had a deep, deep fear of rejection, as in, I don't even know you, but I'm going to reject you first because you're probably going to reject me. And so we're just going to call it quits and just jump on it that quickly. And I clearly remember as a young girl, I think I was probably six or seven, and I actually remember making the decision, you know what, I'm just going to be happy. I'm just going to be happy. I'm not going to be too much of anything. I'm not going to draw attention to too much of anything. I'm going to stay steady, and I'm just going to be happy. Who is happy all the time? That's weird. That's not right. So that you just you can't and you can't keep that up. That's hard. That's hard. And but that was part of it because performance was critical. So I was keeping up that performance. I was on a stage the entire time and I put myself up there. And so also 
that showed me that receiving love was based on that performance. And that must mean that love is conditional, to receive it and to give it out. And that's just not cool to live off of. And then also manipulation. That was a very, very important and key skill to have going through life so you can keep your hidden self, your true self hidden away, and keep your false self up front. So manipulation, I was very good at that. And um, it was interesting. I actually had to reach out to a friend of mine as I was writing this out because I really, thinking about all this, I started going back to those days when I was all tied up and in knots, struggling with all of this. And there was a weight to it. You felt you could actually physically feel it on your chest. I was tired. I was so selfish because I was always turned inward, protecting the false self, and I wasn't looking outward to God or to others. And I just I felt uglier because of these invisible scars that I was carrying around. I wasn't giving those up. I just felt hatred towards myself, and you just feel tired carrying all of that around. So I had to ask my friend, I was like, pray for me with this, because I feel it seeping back in, but it's good, because it it took me back there, but it's just, you just don't want to feel that. And here was the tricky part, is that on top of all of those feelings, on top of all that sin and struggle, there was like this dark and slimy mess that covered it all and kept it all tangled up like a spider web. But I couldn't name it. I had no name for this stuff, but I knew that it was strong and deep. And this is the not-so-lovely soil out of which so many sins grew and grew and grew, even after I accepted Christ. I'm a believer, and I'm still struggling with this, and the sins are still growing and going nuts. And um, it's because this this false self that I had created... It was just, it was created to take over the scared little girl who was still hiding in the corners of my heart, and she was just being pushed away and hidden away. So I want to read to you an accurate description of the false self, and this was textbook me. The false self wants to be left alone. It fends for itself and will go to any length to forage for love, or at least its conception of love. Like a hungry animal, the false self will feed off of others without conscience, often compromising itself or others in the process. And like I said, that was me, full on. I didn't care what I was doing to other people. As long as I was protecting myself, then I was okay. And I was just incredibly blinded by this fear that the false self would be revealed and someone would find out who I really am and that I was too needy. And I was just leaving a trail of hurt people behind me. I could tell you story after story of ruined friendships. Just, (laughs) they went down in a blaze of glory. And I would just tear people up by trying to take from them what I felt like I was lacking. So I was just feeding off of them, just sucking them dry. And that's not good for friendship, just FYI. And that's how I found my worth. That's where I got it from taking it from other people, stealing it from other people. I wanted to find glory and honor and acceptance in the eyes of others, and I would take it from anyone else along the way. And so, and again, this just shows you how you get so twisted up, because during that time, I would pray for God to heal those friendships so I could keep feeding off of them, but I would never pray for him to heal me. I would never go to him because I wanted to hold on to it. I wanted to keep some resemblance of control, which we don't have any control, but I thought I had it. 
and I wanted to take things into my own hands. So this cycle just made me dislike myself more and more, and that hidden, scared little girl was just getting pushed further and further away. So I knew something was off, obviously. Something wasn't right. This was not the way to do it, and I would eventually visit a counselor here or there during the really tough seasons. But that would only put a Band-Aid over things and get me through to the next friendship that I would ruin and just try to feed off of. And the same sins and destructive behavior would just keep on coming. And I felt at that point as if I would never be free. I remember this time where I was renting a house with a friend and we had these hardwood floors. And I remember just falling to the floor and just hitting the floor so hard, just crying and not having the words. It was just guttural, just coming out. But I think those were the moments, though, when God just heard my cry and he was like, okay, here we go. So on top of all of that, I had a really underdeveloped vocabulary for these sins and for what I was struggling with. And I didn't know how to put it into words. So everything remained so locked up. And we know that sin flourishes when left in the dark. It's just like pouring water on a plant and watching it grow. Keep your sin in the dark. Watch it grow. It will happen. And then the word of God comes in. John eight twelve. Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, so this is when it gets good. About nine years ago, I lost my job. There was a major downturn in the economy, and one of my best friends ended up hiring me as her assistant. She worked at Leading the Way, and this was in their old building, and they had really such small offices. She actually bought a desk and a computer, and it was probably about this size, and stuck me in the corner of her office. And it was, it was really hilarious. But it was provision on so many different levels that I didn't know at the time. At the time, I just saw it as financial, but God had a better plan going on. And the neat thing is, is that this friend, she's the one in my life, and maybe you have this one type of friend, where she sort of shoots out in front of me with different life events, and she'll try things. And I'm the type of person who I'll sit back, and I'm going to watch and see, is she going to fall, or is this going to go well? <laughs> so true story. And she'll tell you this. And uh, so what was neat is that um, you know most of the time I would follow after her, except this one time she introduced me to broccoli salad, and that was Satan coming after our friendship. So, But we survived it. Um, that was just... <laughs> nasty, and she knows it to this day. And so um, so during the time when I was sitting in this little corner of her office, she was going through a healing ministry here at Apostles called Living Waters. I'd never heard about it, didn't know what it was, but I did what I normally do. I sat in the corner, I watched her, she did her homework, good things were happening, she didn't hate it, I only saw her cry over it a couple of times, so I thought I could handle it. And eventually, she did what she does, and she suggested that I take it. So I did. So a quick background on Living Waters. This is semi a plug for Living Waters, but also just I'm going to fill you in just so you understand what it is. So it's a ministry that is about finding a way to brokenness and admitting it, and finally admitting that the only way to wholeness is by discovering what the healing power with Jesus, or healing power of a relationship with Jesus really means. It's incredible. And that's kind of a high-level view. Um, So we meet each week, 
there's a teacher, there's testimony, there's praise and worship, there's small groups. And the leader of my small group is an amazing woman. She's a member here. Um, We're still friends to this day. But it was touch and go while we were, while I was a participant in her group. Because every time someone shared a confession or just whatever the Lord was doing or whatever, she would write it up on a whiteboard. That dumb whiteboard. So the thought being behind that is what is shared is now in the light. You can see what's being brought forth. You can see what you're saying, if it's a lie, if it's of the enemy, or if it's of God, and you just, you can talk about it and really explore it further. It's great. It really is. And with the combination of the teachers and the testimonies and the Holy Spirit, it is powerful. It truly is. But again, I wasn't having it because I was still hiding. I was still keeping the false front up front. Everything's good, and the scared little girl, the true self, back in the corner. She wasn't ready to come out yet. And so, again, for the first three or four months, my leader would make an effort to write something on the whiteboard every time I shared. Y'all, I would give her the death stare. Like, you go near that whiteboard? done. She was a short little lady. I was like, I can take her. I could break her like a stick. And so, um, so she knew, she knew I was serious and she respected it. She stayed away from the whiteboard for a while and it was good. It was really good. I appreciate it. I'm not a violent person, but I was at that moment. And so one of the major exercises for healing, and I'm sure you've heard this before, it's vulnerability. Absolutely. And that was one of the reasons why my leader wanted to write on the whiteboard. I get it. I get it. Vulnerability does not happen in isolation. And if you were at the retreat uh, last weekend, last Friday night, we learned that isolation is the work of the enemy. Solitude is when you are together with God, getting in the word, praying, meditating, worshiping, being with him. Isolation is when Satan has you pinned down. He is telling you, you are bad, you are this, you are that, don't trust God, don't believe the word, all that kind of stuff. It's a perversion of solitude. So, again, vulnerability happens in community. And it means we take off the false self. We are hiding behind. So through sharing the really good, the really bad, everything in between, we can truly be known by others. And that's terrifying. Absolutely. Will people love me? Is my sin that bad? Are they going to run away? Are they going to never talk to me again? Will I have someone to sit with at church? You can go through a whole long list of it. But the practice of vulnerability is a way of life that we are called to live out each and every day. And it's just that. It's a practice. It's not easy. It's very hard and against terrifying. But how can we encourage one another along if we're not being vulnerable? It's like, I'm sure you've heard this before. It's like going to the doctor. All right, patient, what's wrong? And you just sit there and stare at him. It's great. He's not going to really know what to do to help you. It's like us. Like we have to be honest with God and ourselves and each other about what is going on so we can come to the cross. And also, sin is deceptive. It deceives us first. So we can sit back and say, what I did wasn't really that bad. It's okay. We can rationalize it. But also, if something is done to us or said to us, we can think maybe it's not that bad. And we need those people that can say, no, that was wrong. Let's deal with this. Vulnerability sharing one one another, and it's done simultaneously while you have someone saying, I love you, I'm not going anywhere, and I accept you, I'm standing with you. 
That's a key part. And that's a physical representation of how God is. Absolutely. He will not abandon us. He will draw near to us. And he wants us to draw near to him. And again, we don't try to clean ourselves up before we go to God. We go to him so he will clean us up. So don't use that as an excuse because that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. And Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So the most impactful night at Living Waters uh, for me was when we had a counselor come in and talk about shame. And this is the first time I've ever heard it explained. And maybe I'd heard it before, I don't know, but maybe this was just the night when the Holy Spirit said, this is it. And the definition of shame is it is a deep sense that I am unacceptable because of something I did or something done to me or something associated with me. And this leaves you feeling exposed and humiliated. The speaker went on to explain that shame and guilt are different. Guilt is I did something bad while shame is I am bad. It messes with your identity. And guilt or conviction is I did something wrong and Jesus can make it right. Shame says I am fatally flawed and there is no hope. You are done. It's wrapped up in our identity. It is nasty. It is the equivalent of broccoli salad. (laughs) So there's so much more that can be said about it. Just trust me, it's bad. Bad, bad news bears. So that night at Living Waters was March 22nd, 2012. And I know the specific date because I was a changed woman that night. I walked into Living Waters, putting forth a false self. I walked out, finally back with who God made me to be. And I have not looked back. I took a left turn, and I have been running towards him ever since then. Because it's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that I was healed. And still continue to be. And it just brought such light and freedom to my life. It answered prayers that I never thought would be answered. And it answered prayers that I only felt deep in my heart, that I didn't even have words for, and all of a sudden I'm standing in those answered prayers. And there is nothing like that. And I know that there are some women here that are going through living waters now, and I just want to tell you to keep hold of Jesus, because he is not going to let you go. So keep going at it. And also that night, I didn't give my Living Waters leader the death stare, and she started writing on the whiteboard. So it was great. So now I don't break out into a cold sweat every time I pass a whiteboard, and which is good because I work at a university. So God is funny. <laughs> so it's good. And uh, so, but you know, it's not been all rainbows and sprinkles and unicorns. It hasn't been easy um, six years since those six years ago. It, living waters, because again, we're not going to be fully healed. Never think that. Sanctification is always going to keep coming. We're always going to have to keep working at it. And, um, but as believers, we know the covering of shame in part right now, but one day when we stand face to face to Christ, we will know the covering of our shame in full. And that is unbelievable. Again, that is what we keep going forward for. And when you have been a slave to shame and have believed lies about your identity— It is hard to walk in the freedom of Christ. It's a struggle. And there's a process to learning out how to live in that new identity. We have to first identify the old clothes, take them off. We have to develop and practice habits of walking in vulnerability. You can't get away from that. 
And we have to practice despising our sin and shame. And Jesus shamed shame on the cross. He knew the joy set before him, and he went for it. And we follow this example now of despising our sin and shame. We don't act like it's not there. We don't push it away, but we call it what it is. Whatever we're struggling with, shame or sin, whatever burdens we're carrying, we call it what it is. We name it, and we refuse to let it rule over our lives because we have the blood of Christ on our side. That's pretty powerful. So every day, for those who are in Christ, it's a new day. It's a new life, freedom from shame and sin, and so much more. And now there are these new clothes which are fitting to that reality. We have to walk that out. We've been, com- we've been so accustomed to wearing rags for most of our lives, but that is not what we wear as children of God. Absolutely not. And granted, the new clothes might be a little wonky at first. You're like, eh, I don't know if I want to buy that shirt because it doesn't fit right there or that. But he grows us into those clothes. And that is a great thing. And that's why, again, we need community to keep us going in that forward-looking fashion. And so... As much as we strive to find our worth outside of Christ or our healing, we're to be good, we're going to fall short. We're going to fall short without the blood of Christ covering us. He is what we cannot be, and he has done what we cannot do for ourselves. And that's great news. There's no burden to carry. So I had my first true taste of all that at Living Waters. And with my prayer partners, who were getting down and dirty in my brokenness and stuck with me, um, And this is the exciting part. As believers, we are invited to play a small part in redemption and resurrection. That's exciting. That is the beat of my heart, to release people to breathe new life and unwrap them from those grave clothes and to see them move forward in the new clothes to walk in the freedom that Jesus Christ has given us. So I served with Living Waters for a couple years after that. I wanted to see other people experience the healing that I went through and that I've seen friends go through. And then I felt like it was time to get involved in the women's ministry. And the funny thing is about that is I could not stand the women's ministry. <laughs> Couldn't stand it. And um, now I'm not putting anything on the women's ministry. So uh, you might want to cut that out of the talk. But <laughs> women's ministry here is great. It was my junk that I was dealing with that kept me from it. It was me because I wanted to be hidden and I didn't want to be a bunch of, around a bunch of women that were like, how are you? No, how are you really? Like, Go away. <laughs> so, um, so but the great thing is, you guys, is that God is looking for a way to restore and remake his broken children. And that is just amazing. And not just to mend us, but to remake us into the image of Christ. And I am reminded of that every time I think of the women's ministry and just how thankful I am to be a part of it. And just leading up to even this talk tonight, I just received so many text messages and emails of encouragement and prayer and scripture that um, it was amazing. So I do like the women's ministry now. I hope that's recorded clearly. I like it. Um, and now I'm just trying to get any woman I meet involved as well. So so I'm like a walking billboard for it. And, um, that is a remake that can only come from the hands of our, our heavenly father. So, um, when you are loved in light of those particular areas in which we feel least deserving of love, it expands our compassion and God's grace can then flow freely from us to others 
in amazing, miraculous ways. We discover in fellowship the gracious presence of Jesus. And sometimes we need grace with faces to urge us onward. We need that desperately. And that is what I've experienced getting into community and by the transformative power of Jesus. He's allowing me to look outward instead of inward all the time because I'm not covering up that scared little girl anymore. And he is, like I said, answering prayers that I just never thought would be answered. Now, I will always always have to be sensitive to shame and sin cycles that are trying to still elbow their way into my life. And it happens um, out of the blue. And I'll think that I'm trying to take something from someone and the Holy Spirit will just bring that conviction. And it's great because I still have my prayer partners from Living Waters and I'll go to them and we'll talk it out and we'll bring it under the blood of Christ and we'll pray and We'll move on and I'll feel that release and they'll turn me back to looking towards the cross and that's priceless because you know, sometimes I can shock myself with the depth of my sin and I'm sure you've experienced that as well. And that's why we need to interrupt and reframe the voice of shame and sin from the enemy in light of the gospel. It's important that we always do that. We need people to help us. So again, Dr. Youssef would be so proud because we're right back where we started the gospel. What anchors us and enables us is that through Jesus Christ we are clean and God covers us and clothes us. And this is the truth for when we first believe to every day after. And prayerfully we are each walking a little further in the freedom he's given us each day and that is our prayer for each and every one of you. So thank you. Thanks you. And stay away from broccoli salad. It's not good. (laughs) 